The Weekend. Variety. Wireless. Okay, folks, this hour is Chocker with John Cooper Clark. Probably my favourite interview all throughout all the years at um, here at Radio Live on the Weekend Variety Wireless. Just such a character. So fill your boots. Press record. Here are some commercials. Curiosity not only killed the cat, it spawned a whole radio show. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Ahead of John Cooper Clark's visit, one of his visits to New Zealand, I was given the opportunity for a phone interview and at the end of it, I asked him a favour. All right, kid. Hey, one other thing. What? When you're in New Zealand... Yeah? I would really love it if you could come into the studio and have a chat. I'm asking you. I'm begging you. Oh, that'd be great. What, and play records? Yeah. Oh, I love doing that, Graham. I love it. You've got me... uh, Have you got me agent's number? He's in jail at the moment. He is not. He's kidding me, (laughs) aren't you? (laughs) I wouldn't rule it out. (laughs) thing is, he was a man of his words, but the weird thing is I got about 15 minutes notice, so bang, in the car, tearing down the road, and there was a proviso, I had to bring donuts. He's a donut freak. The loveliest thing about John Cooper Clark is why he's one of my favourite interviews. It's like he's not being interviewed. Has just absolute no awareness he's being interviewed. Well, God, I love that. John Cooper Clark. Oh, they're glazed. Glazed, original glazed. I don't know. I think they've just got sugar on them. Be creamy. Open them up. Open them up. Do you have that franchise, Krispy Kreme? No. You don't have Krispy Kreme? No. That's it. Oh, they're just the governor donuts. Are they really? They make every other donut look like a waste of food. Are you are you a donut aficionado? No, oh, I've been eating donuts all my life. I don't see why I should stop now. Yeah. No, I have. Yeah, I am a donut guy. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. I had no idea what Is you that wanted a to play. Cake? No, I think it's something sweet inside it. Did you get this from a Jewish bakery, by any chance? 
Oh, I don't know if they're Jewish. They're from Vietnam, and they look Vietnamese. I didn't see a Yamelka anywhere. There's a kind of cheesecake that they used to sell in only in Jewish bakeries that look like this. Oh, really? I don't think you'll find any cheese in there. Oh, that's better than a donut. That's Is that good? Fabulous. Excellent. That's a recommendation. I didn't know what music you wanted to play, so I took a guess. Have you got any vinyl facility? No. Oh, no. Rubbish, eh? Could have played my new record. This here that I've just bought at Real Groovy Records. Oh, yeah. What did you buy? Uh, Major Lance, 1972, Live at the Torch. Oh, really? And the Torch was the uh, it was the second biggest uh, Northern Soul club in... Uh, in, in it was in Stoke-on-Trent in the Midlands. Oh, yeah. Major Lance, have you heard of Major Lance? No. He did a song called Mm 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 Mm. Mm. No, U M. Ah. So if it's written out, it's U M. Six times. Is it kind yeah. of like uh, Northern uh, England's Detroit or something? I think the reason it's... I don't even really know why it's called Northern Soul, but I imagine it's because the first the first venue that specialised in this kind of music, you know, black American music... Oh, yeah, yeah. ..was uh, the Twisted Wheel in Manchester, where I uh, more or less lived when I was a teenager. Really? And um, it was the first place ever to feature, heavily feature, people like James Brown, Jackie Wilson, you know, uh, Wilson Pickett, all those, you know, not, you know, soul. So these what, are we know, the... what we know today as soul. Right, and these are the discs that they would spin. Yeah, that's it. Exclusively, it was American imports, you know. Oh, and, cool. Um, it's a very esoteric uh, feel, but the, the music is amazing. And it's people like Major Lance. You, I'll tell you what's a Northern Soul record that became a hit. In, in that it was covered. But do you remember uh, Tainted Love? Mm. Do you remember oh, oh, yeah, Tainted yeah. Love by Soft Cell? Yeah. Well, that was a cover of a record by Gloria Jones, who was also the wife of Mark Bowen. Oh, really? And, uh, she was a recording artist in her own right. Really? Yeah, she had a group called Gonzales uh, late on in her career. She wrote that. She wrote Tainted Love and also... Uh, did, she, did she live long enough to cash the cheque from Soft Cell? I think she did, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. She might even still be alive. OK. But it was Grace that was driving the ill-fated... Um, right. Car, oh, but, I see. Uh, is all this going down? Or yeah, I'm, rec I'm recording everything. If you want to hear any tunes, you're going to have to put your headphones on. Oh, right. Oh, really? Right. Oh. Yeah. I'd played I Don't Want to Be Nice... God, I love oh, that. Did how did, you? What, what did your, um, how did you get that sound with the production? Because it's got a really, really great sound. Yeah, it's pretty good, that. It was a real one, that one was, I remember, was a real, like all the best ones. I mean, I don't really like, I'm not that keen on the stuff that I did with music, to be honest, but, uh, you know, but it has its moments, and that's pretty good. It's a good riff, isn't it? I think we were going for a, uh, it's kind of, it's the same notes as uh, Double Barrel by Dave and Ansel Collins, if you know that one. Do you know that one? No. This is about the magnificent W-O-O-O. You don't remember that one? No, Double uh, Barrel, Dave no. and It was a ska, big hit. Oh, yeah. The days yeah. Ska. Man, ska was just so huge. In, Over here, in, what? 
Oh, I was what, just the thinking the stuff. amount of great stuff that was coming out of Britain. What, the, the two-tone era stuff? Or? Yeah, and then going into when the it, uh, sort of when it partnered up in the late 70s with what you could say was punk or whatever you want to call it, you know? But I'm going back to, like, 1961, you know okay. what I mean? Blue Beat, yeah. You know, yeah. you know, Prince Buster, yeah. obviously. Yeah. You know, Don Drummond. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah beautiful. Laurel Aitken. Beautiful. Great singers. These people were great singers. And people forget that Bob Marley and the Wailers were once short-haired scar kids. Yeah, short-haired scar kids. That's right. Of course, they were tuxedos. Yeah. <laughs> Simmer down. Great stuff. Great stuff. In fact, I love Bob's less political stuff. I prefer it. You know, Same like, here. It gets I a like bit the, didactic, like, doesn't like, it? Yeah, it does. It gets a bit down. I like the lover's rock stuff. He's a, you know, he's a great singer. He's, a, he's got a terrific smoochy voice. You know, he's yeah. up there with Sam Cooke there. Damn right. <laughs> you know, that's first date music. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> when did you first have a lash at writing poetry? Can you remember what your poems were like? Uh, yeah, they were very 19th century in flavour, you know, as they still are, I think. You know, we, we, uh, we used to read from a... At school, we used to read from a, a textbook called Palgrave's Golden Treasury, which featured stuff, where, you know, by W.H. Auden. That was the most modern stuff that was in it. But, but beyond that, it was people like uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson, Lord Byron, uh, Percy Shelley, Christina Rossetti, you know... Proper old school. Oh, yeah. Coleridge. Yeah, Coleridge, especially Coleridge. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Tell you else was a big one, a big influence on me, and, and uh, I'm not ashamed to say it, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. I got into him because the first uh, the first uh, adults-only movie I ever lied about my age to, to watch on, in the cinema was The Fall of the House of Usher, starring the inimitable Mr Vincent Price. There'll never be another. And uh, he did a whole series of Roger Corman movies based on the works of Edgar Allan Poe. Nice. And this was the most frightening moment of my life, so, you know, watching that movie. You know, I, I, I was I came out and I was terrified, you know what I mean? And, uh, and then, But then I got into reading his, his works, you know, and he, of course, they were all short stories. Stories, really, yeah. you know, and uh, and I, 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 you know, I started reading his poetry, and it was very mathematically the precision of the of the of the the uh, the meter of them was just like irresistible to me. Nice. And then I, and then from there, you know, from reading Edgar, I read somewhere that uh, it, that Charles Baudelaire was his great champion in uh, in France at the time, and uh, and had actually translated his work into French. So then I became interested in the work of Charles Baudelaire, and uh, between all those factions, you know, those are the things that kind of made me want to be a poet, and uh, you know, that's the stuff I liked. Right. Um, just back to some influential music. I've just had a guess at a few things you might like because you're on tour, that you promised you'd come in and do this with me, and I well, appreciate I that you you did f keep your word. You see, I'm, you see uh, I don't have a mobile phone, so <laughs> I'm one of these people in the habit of, I make an arrangement, and I'm bound to stick to it. I, I don't possess the technology right. to change any arrangements, you know, on a whim. So I'm kind of a snail mail telephone box kind of guy. Right, so you end up committed. So I, you know, 
I'm committed, and I expect the same from whoever I'm going to meet up with. I'm, he I'm here. I ain't easy company. <laughs> Do you know this tune? Oh, Love This Is 96 Tears by Question Mark and the Mysterians. My very good friend, Mr. Rudy Martinez on lead vocals. Oh, wow. I love this song. Too many teardrops for one heart to carry on. You're way on top now since you left me. You're always laughing way down at me. But watch out now. You know, I've been a bit, I've loved that record all my life. Yeah, man, you have been on the road and played on the same bill as some incredible outfits, haven't you? Well, yeah, anybody, yeah, 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 quite a few, yeah. Sex Pistols. Sex Pistols, The Clash. What was it Jimmy like? With the, what, what was it like with the Sex Pistols? Which version were you playing with them? Uh, Glenn. Oh yeah, Glenn era. Yeah, early doors, really. Yeah. yeah. Didn't, I didn't saw with them, but I, and I didn't saw with The Clash, but I did quite a few. Our paths crossed on many occasions, and right. I did quite a few of the... Yeah, and your Manchester compatriots, Joy Division, what was that like? Yeah, well, the first time I came out here was with, uh, well, the newly named uh, New Order. Yeah. Did you know Ian Curtis? Uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. 
What, just through music or just uh, through uh, yeah, Manchester? Just, yeah, just through music and, uh, you know, they, uh, yeah, they're from my end of town sort of thing, yeah. OK. I used to run into them in rehearsal studios and things like that, you know, that's where usually any socialising went on yeah. amongst the... Uh, the, the uh, rock and roll people of that time in Manchester, yeah. Oh. It wasn't some big old, old pals club, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's often portrayed, you know, the Manchester sound, you know, like it was some kind of hippie commune where people swapped ideas. It was far more animosity than that, you know, because everybody thought they were, we're great and you're shit. You right. I mean? <laughs> there was so much, and there has been, and there still is, so much great music that's coming out of Manchester. Yeah, yeah, Do you kind of feel a, a pride in the prodigious output from that city? It's been a music, it's been a musical centre you know, uh, since the jazz age, Manchester. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's always been rep. Anybody on on a, on a, anybody from the states that's got been on tour, they always did Manchester. Even when I was a boy, I went to see. I was going to see people like uh, Peggy Lee, uh, the Buddy Rich Orchestra. Yeah. Uh, sort of everybody but Sinatra. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I, was a Nat, Nat King Cole. I saw him on that tour he did with George Shearing after he had that hit, Let There Be Love. Right. Remember Let There Be Love with George Shearing? I'm betting zero, no. Well, uh, the listeners are going, you it was, idiot. A, it was a big hit for, uh, around 1962. There, there again, 1962 seemed to be a, the period where I went to the most concerts in my entire life. I saw loads of people at that point. Yeah. Ray Charles and his the, the full Ray Charles Orchestra. And that was Ray Charles at the height of his powers. At the too. height of his powers with the full Ray Charles Orchestra and the Ray Letts. Yeah, that didn't happen again until Joe Bloody Cocker from exactly, Sheffield. Exactly, yeah, yeah, that sensational act. Great, great show. Yeah. Great show. As what uh, all of them, there were all great you know peggy lee sensation and my favorite of all you know possibly you know the, the greatest singer that ever lived uh, uh ella fitzgerald oh i've seen her i've seen her four times really i saw her at the dorchester hotel where there was a dinner involved as well when i first signed up to cbs they said is there any favors we can do for you i says yeah. and it, it was that week that ella was uh, doing the dorchester hotel i says yeah get me two tickets to ella Fit to the ella fitzgerald gig they said no, no problem, and uh, they made it happen. And wow. That's the best thing they ever did for me. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's John Cooper Clark. Hey, um, did you ever see? Uh, there was famously this tour came to Britain. I think it did Europe as well. And thank goodness the Germans filmed it. The American Blues and Folk Festival tour. So it was John Lee Hooker was in it. Yes, I've seen John Lee Hooker more times than I can even remember. But he always did Manchester. Man you know, Manchester was a, always a, a must-do for the for the blues acts, because Manchester is a western, like Liverpool, is a western-facing port. So that, and, we, and uh, in the fifties and sixties, we still had a merchant fleet. So we'd be getting. Uh, they would use soul records, for instance, and comic books were ballast. In commercial ships, they weren't. They were seen as worthless, frankly. <laughs> and uh, but we lapped them up, obviously. You know, there was gold and we, we loved all that. You know, so uh, I think that's the reason why there was a flourishing soul and uh, jazz blues soul scene in Man in Manchester and Liverpool because of this. I'm convinced that's what it is. You yeah, know? yeah. It's okay. uh, geographical as much as anything else yeah so so you know every anybody anybody that's great i saw him in manchester the everly brothers gene vincent yeah you know del shannon freddie cannon dion 
You ended up being a poet, though. Didn't you want to be a musician? I can play. I, I can play a bit. I've got a guitar. I'm pretty, you know, I'm not, it's just what I do, it just isn't commercial anymore. I tell you what, have you ever heard that uh, Jimi Hendrix? I've I'm heard a, a of bit him. like that. That's I'm... a bit like the way I play that. Right. It's just not what they want anymore. That's not what the young people want anymore. Howling Wolf. Ever see Howling Wolf? Yeah, I did, yeah. With, uh, with, with Hubert Sumlin on guitar. Oh, hell. Yeah, yeah, I saw, saw that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Put your headphones on, this are is you nice. Gonna play? What are you going to play? Smoke Stack Lightning, Howling for My Baby. You're going to wreck my life. Oh, wicked. Go for it. wreck my life <laughs> wow awesome i love that guy you know recently i just acquired a, a sure mic you know uh one of those art deco chrome jobbies that looks like an aztec temple on a stick oh yeah you yeah. know the ones i mean Talk looks, show like, looks like them. the radiator on a 1936 cord yeah you know what i mean yeah you know the one i mean yeah. that, that the posers the ultimate poser mic the one that james brown sings through when yeah. he does please 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 on the Tammy show something right? it's big to grab yeah like a you can treat it like a girl's face <laughs> do you know what i'm saying you can't do that with a stick mic yeah but they're a great microphone and the reason i got it was not because of any of those cosmetic reasons although that helps the reason i got it was because of how many more years by howling wolf which sounds like it's got this sound quality like where whereby it sounds like it was recorded over the phone 
Yeah. And ever since, for years, I've been looking for a microphone that can kind of come a little bit close to that quality, you know what I yeah. mean? And uh, the Shure Ribbon mic is your only man yeah. for that job. Hey, of the musicians in Manchester, who do you know the best? OK, uh, Marky Smith, Pete I know Shelley? Smithy, yeah, yeah. I see, yeah, I run into Smithy. All, I work with Smithy all the time, yeah. Yeah, Pete Shelley, I run, the Buzzcocks, all the time I'm running into them. <laughs> it's, 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 usually airports and... And uh, in the West End of London, actually. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, old pals. Yeah. yeah. Did Pete Shelley yeah. played in your band, didn't he? Well, he played on my record. You know, he did a he did a guest appearance on my record. As did a few people. You know, on that. You know, the musical stuff. But to be honest, the uh, the, the musicians on uh, on those on those records were uh, were mainly from a band called the Dougie James Soul Train. And uh, they were kind of cabaret soul band. Yeah. Did kind of, uh, you know, stylistics stuff, you know, gamble and hoof, uh, Philadelphia stuff. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Betcha yeah. by golly, wow. Uh, the odd Bill Withers tune. Oh, yeah. So that's what that that's the music that they were used to playing. So I figured, you know, if you can play that soul stuff, you can more or less do anything, really, can't you? When did you first get up on stage and trying to impress people with what your words were? It was in the mid '60s, actually. Um, at some hippie, it was a benefit for some hippie magazine, you know. And I just sort of seen it as an opportunity to sort of uh, get a foothold in the uh, in the world of uh, uh, art and literature. Did it take the uh, so-called, because there's no other word for it, punk explosion, to sort of sweep you up? Yeah, it, it was that. That was better than when I did this hippie do. You know, you know, hippie audiences they'll they'll put up with anything. I mean, it was like shooting fish in a barrel, frankly. Yeah. You know, and then I did a few uh, working men's clubs uh, in the northwest. Now that was tough. They were there was one thing you could take for granted in those audiences, and that was this: none of that audience, not one member of that audience, was particularly interested in poetry. So really, I did all the hard work well before the punk era. When the by the time the punk era happened, it was like a doddle. You know what I mean? It was unbelievably easy. The gates opened. People no, yeah, got yeah. You. I was used to much worse than anything they had. To oh, offer. oh, right. I see. You know what I mean, people, done the hard work. But that's when you started to become famous. What in the punk days? Yeah, yeah. Because I'd learned how to handle people uh, that were giving me trouble. Do you know what I mean? Okay. I'd watched all the best. You know, Bernard Manning. I'd watched out. I'd watched him work. I'd worked at his club, the Embassy Club, you know. And so, and so I'd looked at all these guys that could just like screw somebody up and throw them in the f-ing bin. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Don't me- You know what I mean? Yeah. People. Bernard's audience. Bernard elicited a mixture of uh, uh, affection and fear. <laughs> it's not off. It, they, you know, no, there's no binary attraction in those two qualities, are there? I told you, know, you know, affection and fear. Yeah. The only time I've ever seen that happen yeah. is in a Bernard Manning audience. People... And I thought, I want that. Yeah. That's what I want. I don't want to be nice. Of, I want an, a mixture of affection and fear, and that's what I went for. You got you know it. I mean? and, that, and, that's what, and that's what made me suitable to be the punk poet in, the, in those days. Yeah. yeah. That's what was required, actually. <laughs> so, you know, everything fell into place for me, in a way. Yeah. Uh, that and the fact that I didn't have long hair and I didn't wear flares because I was trying to make it in the working men's clubs. I, I, I kind of I was trying to look sort of presentable in uh, in that way. So I had short hair and I wore kind of continental suits, and uh, so I kind of looked non hippie. 
which made me kind of suitable to enter the punk rock uh, arena. Right. You know what I mean? I didn't really have to alter my appearance. I mean, if you think about Paul Weller and the jam, they looked pretty smart, didn't they, in the day, so... Yeah. So I sort of looked like more like that than seditionaries, you know, do you know what I mean? They looked like junior golfers. I like the look. I, you know, that's, that was my look, really. <laughs> <laughs> I had to revise. I, in fact, I had to, I had to mess it up a bit. You know, when Paul and the boys, when the jam happened, you know yeah. what I mean? I, I, I was a bit miffed at first. I thought, I've been wearing that shit for the last four years, you know what I mean? Now it's going to look like I've seen a picture of them and gone for that look. So, oh, I, no. so I had to actually f*** my own look. Right. So I grew my hair a bit and had it, you know, like it is now. Yeah. And really... It suited you well, the haircut. It's hanging on, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, bloody yeah. good. It's real hair, you know. It's not mine, but it's real hair. I... <laughs> <laughs> I can't claim that one. That's one of John Wayne's gags when he did that gig at Berkeley University in 1968. Remember that? No, I wasn't there. John Wayne, yeah. <laughs> Can you believe the balls on that guy? It yeah. was the hub of the anti-Vietnam f***ing movement. Yeah. Well, sorry, I'm swearing. That's all right. But, you know, can you believe that? The Duke, he goes in there at the belly of the beast, didn't he? he won them. Have you ever seen that footage? No. He won them over like that. By that, somebody shouted out, hey, is that, is that real hair? And, he, that's, and then he came back with that one. It ain't mine, but it's real hair. After that, they were eating out of his f***ing goddamn hands. Excellent. Hippies. Yeah. They were prepared to hate him, you know, the yeah. enemy. <laughs> is this going well, Graham, or what? Just as well as our last conversation went. Was that good? It was good, wasn't it? Yeah. That was good. That was great fun. John Cooper Clark, don't go anywhere. We've got more to talk about. Life. The universe. And everything in between. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. John Cooper Clark. Fave interview with respect to others. I've got a theory about Man <laughs> one very small aspect of Manchester music that we know full well that Johnny Marr and Morrissey went to Buzzcocks gigs, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 of course. They formed the Smiths and did most of the Buzzcocks songs except just slowed them down. If you slow the Buzzcocks down, it sounds just like the Smiths. Ah, uh, I bet it... Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never done that, but I imagine it would. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I want to play What Do I Get? Absolutely. Yeah, well, that, the title for a start. <laughs> So Mozza, that isn't, isn't it? it? Yes, very Mozza, yeah. Yeah, the Buzzcocks is like a fidgety Smiths, and the Smiths is like a um, the Buzzcocks on Laudanum. Yeah, you could be right, but what do I get? That is a Smiths title. It, yeah, it's very Mozza, yeah. right up his street. I can, you can see where he's, uh, and the, as we said, as we said, the non the non gender specific uh, yeah. muse. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
So we're going, going to go for a, a fall number. Oh, we have to play. We have to play some Mark it's or Smithy, as you call him. I don't want to get in his bad. Books. No, exactly. Yeah, should we go for Cruisers Creek? One from the archives. Okay. Yeah. We'll go we'll for Cruisers Creek. Fabulous. We'll do that in a mo. I just want a bit of a chat first. Okay. Oh, can I? I want to publicise my forthcoming. Uh, that, uh, there's a movie out about me. Uh, sort of following me around with a film crew. Why aren't they movie? here now? Because co- that's what usually happens, isn't it? They're over your shoulder. Well, yeah, that's right. That's right. They're, uh, well, they're, actually, they're editing millions of miles of footage, even as we speak. Right. And uh, but it's loads of people saying nice things about me and clip bits of my act and uh, gags, uh, incidents, adventures, people I meet. Uh, and places I've been and places I'm going to go next week and things like that. Anyways, it's worth seeing. It's called Evidently John Cooper Clark. And it doesn't have a distribution deal out here, I don't think. So, uh, book early. What do you mean a distribution? Don't isn't the distribution deal because it's on a television station or something, or is well, that a movie? Yeah, movie, movie. England, I think in England, I think uh, the BBC's got a bit of a a bit of a hold on it. But um, uh. I think it, I think you're quite at liberty. To uh, 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 I'm open to all offers okay. in these in the Antipodean territories. Have you got any idea what it's going to be like? Well, there's a lot. I mean, it... no. To be honest, no. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Good. I can't stand watching myself. I'll be honest with you. There. Yeah. You know, it's, it, I, it, I find it the most embarrassing. I'm never happy with it. Mm. You know, it's always, you know when you you know when you hear your first. Uh, when you get a first recording of your voice, like I remember getting a tape recorder when I was a child, say child, 14 or something, I got a Phillips tape recorder. I thought, I've got to sing a few songs on it. And up, up until then, I'd, I'd be walking around thinking I ain't a bad... I'm not a bad singer, me. I can carry a tune, you know what I mean? Mm. I used to go around. And I wasn't ashamed to burst into song wherever I went. And then I got a tape recorder and listened to what I actually sounded like. Oh. God, that was the... That was the most miserable day of my life. But you've grown into it now. Finding out that I couldn't say, you know, do do I really say... Why didn't you tell me I sounded like that when I said... I would never have opened my f***ing mouth. Well, I'm the same when I see myself on telly and things like that. Why didn't you tell me I look like that? And I locked myself in a dark room and... You you know what I mean? No, I I, I hate it. No, I can't stand watching movies of myself. You know what I mean? It's horrible. horrible. Other people don't mind. But I have to... You kind of sort of have to do it, but... Other people don't mind. Pardon? I just watched you on the old grey whistle test from about 1980 or something. You look all right. It was t- I didn't look so bad on that. I can, I can stand it for a two and a half minutes or right. something like that, but, you know, for a, a, a movie. Oh, You know, right. I'm emotionally involved. I can't be expected to watch it. <laughs> yeah. You and Nico... Yeah, yeah, we weren't actually married, or a, or a romantic item has been often reported. You, know, you had similar she, interests. She, she, we, she, we had similar interests, yeah, similar social life, you might say. But she, uh, she'd been on tour in uh, in. She'd lived in Manchester, but I was living in uh, in Brixton at the time, and we mm. had the same manager for a while, a guy called Alan Wise, and uh, she went on tour in Italy, but neglected to pay her rent on her apartment in Manchester. So when she returned from Italy, uh, there were, uh, you know, she'd been evicted, basically. So, um, she, she, so, you know, she got in touch with me. Can I stay at yours in Brixton till I find somewhere else? So she moved in with me in Brixton. It was a sort of large-ish apartment, you know. She had her own... You know, it was all nice, you know, but it wasn't any kind of domestic situation. No. But we'd known each other before that anyway, you know, that's... Uh, 
So it was just, I was the first person she asked. Or maybe the first person that said, yeah, that's fine. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was it, yeah. But and then and then uh, further on down, you know, she stayed there quite a while actually, and uh, and during which time John Cale came over from the states and produced one of her albums. And while he did that, he was staying he was staying there too. So I had two fifths of the Velvet Underground staying under my roof, which I was, I mean, that would impress the hell out of me, being a massive fan of the Velvet Underground. When did you hear about the Velvet Underground? When they happened, get the, out. The, when I did, I remember when they happened. There was a, in fact, there was a whole centre spread in the Daily Mirror, which is the, you know, was a, the, the one of the biggest selling national dailies at the time, around 1965, 66. Would it have been when the Velvets kicked off? Yeah, 66, first album. Yeah, well, uh, there was a whole thing, a feature on the whole Andy Warhol factory situation, you know, and uh, and they were saying there was a there was a, a, a group rehearsing down there and they were very surprised because they had a, an amplified viol and that's what sort of grabbed their attention which was of course you know john cale mm. and, it, and, it, and it, the whole item was called beyond the beatnik and i remember that and that's when i, I decided to start and i read about the velvet i thought it's a great the velvet underground what a terrific name for a band so yeah. then i checked them out and of course they're not like anybody else no they're, they're fabulous yeah they? sister ray's terrific isn't it yeah, I played that for the first time all the way through, only only a few years ago. I was, you know, for years I sort of thought, yeah, I get it, I get it, all right, this lasts the whole side of the LP and blah, 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 and it stays like this. I thought, great, but, mm. but you know. And for years, you know, it, it remained unplayed. But then I played it all the way through one day and uh, I wasn't the same guy at the end the, that um, I was when I, <laughs> at the beginning. There's something, I mean, the relentlessness of it, but the stuff that's going on, in there is yeah and the story it's telling is intriguing even now i really don't know what's you know, i guess it's some kind of narcotics deal or yeah. something going on in a new york apartment you know what i mean it's but it's unpleasant you know something unpleasant's going on here <laughs> a good friend of mine divides people into those that listen to sister ray all the way through and those that don't well i'm that one of the latter brigade now <laughs> But only for only for the last five years, <laughs> <laughs> and I've known about the Velvet since 1965. What are your some? Have you got any f lines that you're particularly proud of? You could say poems if you like, but I was thinking lines, things that you go, I nailed that. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I've got a few stray lines. Oh yeah, I've got quite a few, but I can't call them to mind without looking them up in this book here. In my, you know. Jotter, yeah. You know the scribble pad. Yeah. It's like what you've got next to the phone. I have, I've, I've, I've one in my back pocket at all times. There's always a few things, you know, knocking about. Sometimes they wind up in a poem, and sometimes they don't. So let's see what we got here. Yeah, but very often, I obviously I think I'm the greatest living poet. So uh, all the time. I'm have you, you turned down poet laureate ship or something? Well, I've never you been did. asked. I'm, I'm not holding my oh, breath. You've not? That. That's not going to happen, is it? You know well, why I mean? not? John Bitchman. Oh, I suppose he's all right. You know, John, I mean, John was great, though, wasn't he? But he wasn't a dangerous no. Republican revolutionary like me. You know, I'm not going to offer it to No, actually. But speaking of which, right, let me tell you, this is a good story. True story. Andrew Motion, right? Forever people have said, why well, come you're not Point Lawrence? Like, you know, that question comes up a lot, but I should have been because... Uh, I was in Paris in the days when, when the tenure was occupied by... Uh, Andrew Motion. I was in Paris 
and on the cover of Paris Match magazine was a was a, a photograph of the late uh, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, and I, I thought, well, why? Uh, I, why why would she be on the cover of a, of a Republican French magazine? You know, why, they couldn't give her monkeys about the Queen Mother, you know what I mean? So I looked at her, I thought she must she must have died. So I passed it over to, to my wife, who's French, you know, that's the reason why I was in Paris in the first place. And I said, sweetheart, I said, have a look now. I suspect the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother's died. So she she read, yes, yes, she's she died. She has died, you're right. And uh, so I looked, I leave, I thought, oh, they, he must have, so Andrew Motion must have written something about it in verse, you know, I mean, that's what it, that's what the job's, that, that, that's the job description, that's the remit. Yeah, you, yeah. You're, you're required to come up yeah. with the goods whenever something momentous happens within the royal family. Yeah, come on, poet and boy, now's get, the time. Get, exactly, come at the gig, come at the guy, come on, what do you got to say about that? I look through there, nothing, not, not a f***ing word about the Queen, the death of the Queen Mother. I wish the message was here now so I could get it to vouch for me. But within 30 seconds, I rattled off a little four-liner that completely summed up, went to the heart of the late Queen Elizabeth the Queen Mother's appeal amongst the, amongst the, the blue-collar elements of the East End of London. She didn't move to Balmoral when London was being blitzed by the Luftwaffe. So that really engraved her name in the hearts of the East End of London, you know, the people of the East End of London. Nobody would have blamed her if she'd have fucked off. But she hung around and helped out as best she could and all this, you know. So she was the... They loved her in the East End. There was genuine affection for her. But even among elements that might not approve of royalty, they had a soft spot for the Queen Mother. So, bearing that in mind, within 30 seconds I come up with this one. She stuck it out throughout the blitz when lesser mortals got the shivers. A confounded rhyme. A you, single entendre. Econo poetry is about economy. Economy, that's the story of her appeal among yeah. the East Enders. Yeah. 30 seconds, Graham, that took me. 30 bastard in seconds. Well done. More he, fool them, that's what I say. He needs to hand you that rum he's supposed to get. Because he did nothing. You get a barrel of sherry. Yeah, that's Yeah, like hand that. over that barrel of yeah. sherry and the 75 quid per annum. Hand it over. <laughs> You're not entitled. One of my favourites of yours, just a line. It's from Beasley Street. Spend a year in a couple of hours on the edge of Beasley Street. Where the action isn't. That's where it is. Oh, where the action is. That's know, where like, it that's is. That's all right. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, 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 that's not bad. John Cooper Clark, enjoy your time here. Thanks for turning up and, and doing this as you promised. You're a man of honour and your word. i got to be. I don't have the technology to be any other way, Graham. <laughs> Marky Smith and the Fall, Cruises Creek. Let's get out Otherwise of here. Otherwise, we'd be in trouble back in Salford. Um, I don't want to be on that list. On we only have this excerpt. John Cooper Clark, cracking fella. And after that interview, he and his buddy were just standing outside, actually. We were chatting about stuff. 
and he lit up a joint. Executives, MediaWorks executives were coming in and out with their white collars and laptops making important decisions as the marijuana wafted down the footpath. They gave us funny looks. And the funniest thing, he looks at them, takes a puff of this joint and goes, Tuckle the coppers! Whatever you do, tuckle the coppers for fuck's sake! And then laughed his head off. The man called deep in human waste, the toilet has been clogged. Marabone jelly all over the place, I don't even have a dog. The man upstairs, he grips my arm, saying, don't I know you're dead? All I could hear was the fire alarms, the day my pad went mad. All I could hear was the fire alarms, the day my pad went mad. The kitchen has been ransacked, ski trails in the hall. A chicken has been danced and thrown against the wall. In walks the dumb waiter with a fancy pen and pad, saying, how do you want this alligator? The day my pad went mad. How do you like this alligator? The day my pad went mad. The hamster had been slaughtered, the parrot bound and gagged. The guard dog had been sorted out and absolutely shed. The goldfish drowned, the cat was found, kicked around and stabbed. The radio did not make a sound, the day my pad went mad. The radio did not make a sound, the day my pad went mad. Thank you all very much for listening, whether you've listened online, uh, managed to do the podcast thing, or listened live. Uh, there is the final Weekend Variety Wireless program tomorrow evening. Paul Cass is coming back, Cassily, uh, for Media Sick, along with Tamar Mook. We've got our last of Read Me a Poem, Michelle Leggett. She was Poet Laureate in New Zealand uh, and a well-known academic. She writes a poem or two herself. I can't fathom them. 
I don't know what she's talking about, quite frankly. Uh, so, yeah, tomorrow night and, and an outsider to go out with, which has an uncanny connection with the poet and the poem being read tomorrow evening. Thank you so much for listening. I really mean it. It's midnight, hopefully. See you tomorrow for the final show.